Normally, I have, when I kind of prep for a sermon, I normally have about three pages of notes that I whittle down to one page, maybe a page and a quarter. Well, for this sermon, it was five pages to begin with. And you're thinking, hmm, great. We'll get to lunch about two today. No, I whittled it down to a page and three quarters, and in the first service, I skipped most of them, and I'll probably do the same today, and so we're going to have a great time talking about what has been become, what has become, not has been become, has become, uh, over the last probably 40 or 50 years, uh, one of the more controversial passages in Scripture about relationships. And so today, I want us to start by talking about what it means for us to understand who we are, what we should live like as believers, and that will help us understand more fully what it means to live in a household together. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 15 and read uh, verse 15 through 21, uh, to begin with today, uh, it's a passage that, that Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, a church in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, uh, but it has a lot of Greeks in it because Greece is just across the sea from there. And, and as they, uh, he's writing to them, he's giving them instruction on how to live out their faith with one another. So how do we live out our faith with one another? And so in Chapter 5, uh, verse 15, it says this. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. In that little short six verses, he gives us a great blueprint for what it means to live out as a follower of Christ. Live wisely. Don't be foolish. Understand God's will, which is love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's pretty easy to do. Eh, simple to do. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God control every day of your life. Speak to one another in words that are encouraging, hopeful, that, that speak to the, the love that God has for us. You don't need to go around singing all the time because if you're like me, that would make more enemies than friends. So make sure you say and speak words of encouragement. Always give thanks. Don't be a complainer. And then finally, submit to one another. Not because... They're better than you, not because you're trying to flatter them. No, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you and I honor one another, it testifies to our love for Christ. And so honor one another. 
submit yourselves one to another so that you can testify to the truth and the power and the love and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. That's how the Christian life is to be lived, honoring one another, submitting ourselves to one another. And because Paul, when he wrote this letter, didn't have verse 21 marked with a 21, and then verse 22 marked the 22 like your Bible does, he just kept on writing. And, and in that, he creates a framework for all believers. Here is the framework for all of us to live under the umbrella of submission. And if you've been paying attention the last four or five weeks, that word umbrella has been used at least one time in every sermon since we began this series. Now you can go back and watch them and pay attention this time, okay? But it was used because there's this idea that we're coming to that all of us live under this umbrella of submission. If we want to be stronger as a people, as a family, as a family of faith, we need to honor one another in Christ. And as Paul writes this framework for what it means to live out the Christian life, he then narrows it down to this controversial passage and takes it from the broad to the, to the specific Because in God's economy, the household, the family unit is the most essential piece in all of creation. The family is the most important thing in God's economy. If not, he wouldn't have created Adam and Eve in his image and brought them together in the garden and given them dominion over the garden, and said, be fruitful and multiply. He wouldn't have done that if we weren't his plan for this creation. And so he takes this general rule, these general guidelines, these practical principles for us to live as believers, as followers of Christ, and he brings them to the family. And so in verse 22, it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that may you live long in the land 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As we look at this passage of Scripture, really it's only that first verse that has caused controversy. The rest of it nobody pays attention to. But to be clear, this idea of a household structure, of a a code of conduct in the family unit is not a new concept in biblical days. Greeks and other societies had codes of conduct for how the family should live from as far back as we know. Even in the New Testament era, in the book of Colossians and Peter, it deals with personal relationships in the family. And Paul, as he writes here to the church at Ephesus, he writes to these families. Because the home is the place where peace and harmony, where the love and discipline of Christ matters the most. It matters the most. And it should be clearly demonstrated the most in that setting. The home. The love and peace and harmony and discipline of Christ. And as Paul writes the church at Ephesus, as he's saying to us now, these principles, these ideas are not your rights. Those are different. But in the household, you have a duty. You have a privilege You have a place of service. You have a role to play. Whether you're 12 or 52. Whether you're a teenager or in your midlife crisis. You have a role to play. And so wives, submit to your husbands. That word submit is actually not there in the original Greek in verse 22. Women are like, yes. It's borrowed from verse 21. The verse is used for both verses, verse 21 and 22. But this submission is is not out of lowliness and run over like a mat. No, the goal here is to show reverence, to demonstrate service to the Lord. So I'm going to respect the one God has given me as a part of my worship, as respect for the Lord. And as Paul writes here, it would kind of be strange to think about the church being the head of Christ. No, Christ is the head of church, and God is a God of order. Right? He ordered the planets. He ordered our earth. He is a God of order, and so there's order in everything that he does. And so he has Christ as the head of the church. It makes sense that in a family unit, there would be structure and organization. And so he's made the husband the head of the family. But let me remind you that submission does not mean inferiority. The scriptures are clear, especially in the ancient context of elevating women to equality. That was not a concept in the ancient world. But God made that concept true. Even as Paul says in another book, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. We are all under Christ. He created each of us in his image, male and female. I think I talked about that a few weeks ago. 
And so as you and I think about this God-ordained order, I want to remind you that you may be in a place of submission in the home, but you may be in a place of authority at work. God has order in every aspect of our lives. And so women, you might be in the place of submission at home, but you might be in charge at work. And men, you might be in the place of leadership at home, but you might be in a place of submission at work and you're reporting to somebody else. And so order, or leadership and submission exist everywhere we go. But the critical fact for us to understand from a biblical concept is that all social order, whether that's the household or your place of business or your social club, every social order depends on our willingness to work together. Our willingness to understand that sometimes, all the time, someone needs to lead those endeavors. But we have to work together to mutually submit to one another. Because as the wife is called out of service to the Lord to submit to the husband, the husband is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. This self-giving love. One commentator said it this way, it's a love so that the wife can never be grieved or humiliated. That's the kind of love, men, that we should have for our wives. And young men who are not married yet, let me challenge you in this. Whoever that person is that comes into your life, she should not be grieved or humiliated because of you. Your goal is to comfort, honor, cherish. Your goal is to lift her up, to die to yourself, to give that highest form of love, agape love. It's the God type of love, an unconditional love. The same love that sent Jesus to the cross because he loved you and me so much. That he didn't consider his position in heaven something to be grasped hold of, right? His right. It was his right to hang on to heaven. But he gave up that right because he loved you and me enough to humble himself, to humble himself to death, to even death on a cross that you and I might have eternity with our heavenly father. And so men, that's the kind of love we need to have. The kind of love that gives up our lives for our family. But the same is true for you wives. All of us need to seek the highest good for one another. The highest good. Our world is a lot of, and always has been about me and what's good for me. And God is constantly reminding us that we need to be about the good for others. And perhaps as Paul is writing this submit-love relationship, as he's explaining to the Ephesians what that means, and there's a sense of mystery to this, even in how we understand Christ as head of the church, that as we present one another and as we live out this submit love relationship and each claiming our own role, I wonder, I wonder if Paul, God via Paul, didn't ask us 
to live out the thing that we're not naturally good at. Most of the guys that I know, and as you look out throughout history, men, I think, understand and cling to this idea of respect pretty well. Even though you may not like someone, you're going to demonstrate respect. I don't know if you watch reality TV much. I don't a lot, but when I do, I know it's mostly about women, right? It's mostly women on reality TV. And they claim to be friends and stuff, but they are mean to each other. They hate each other, but they say they're friends. There's no respect there. But women know how to love. They all know how to sacrifice themselves for their family, for their kids. That they know what it means to, to give and give and give and give. And so I wonder as Paul is teaching this principle that God is asking us to do the thing that we need to rely on our Heavenly Father for because we can't do it on our own. That we need to show respect because it might be hard for us to do that. We need to sacrifice ourselves because we're not great at sacrificing ourselves about us. Because I've never known a man, no matter how old or young he is, to look in the mirror and not say, man, I look good. Men love, we love ourselves. Dad, bod, and all. Like, I I just, I, I don't know a guy who doesn't. Especially if you're somewhere between 13 and 22. So as much as you think you're awesome, that's how much you need to love your wife. And women, don't tap him in the belly and say, huh, used to be a six-pack. No. Respect him and say, yeah, great, dear. I love you. Because you're good at that. So honoring one another. One of the great illustrations that I've ever been given, and no illustration is perfect, is about an umbrella. That's why you see them on the stage today. That's why we've used this word umbrella. But this passage of scripture uh, was shared uh, over and over with Brandy and me when we got married. And the pastor who married us was actually my boss. And he shared this illustration about an umbrella. And today, uh, every family here uh, is going to walk out today with an umbrella that looks like this. Uh, so we our gift to you, an umbrella, that will hopefully remind you that you're to live under the umbrella of submission with one another. And that as verse 33 says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That passage culminates what this relationship is about. But I use this umbrella illustration, and oh, by the way, my God is bigger than any superstition about opening umbrellas uh, inside. And so if you've ever walked in the rain with your spouse or your significant other, it's always a fun exercise. And so this is the umbrella you're going to get, not this one, but one like it. It has our little church logo on it uh, as a reminder to you of uh, where this came from. But if you ever walked outside 
in the rain with someone else, typically of the opposite sex, uh, probably your wife or girlfriend or somebody, typically the man will grab the umbrella if there is one. He should grab the umbrella. Now, where this illustration falls down, because I've shared it a number of times, is that if the woman is taller than the man, then it gets a little tricky. But I've never had that issue, so bear with me, okay? So if we're walking outside, there's three options actually for holding the umbrella. One option is the man holds it. One option is the woman holds it. And one option is they both hold it. But as I look at God's economy, God's design for marriage, I wonder if the man shouldn't hold the umbrella. So that as he's holding the umbrella, what is his priority in holding the umbrella? Is his priority keeping himself dry or keeping the others in the umbrella dry? Others, thank you very much, correct answer. Now, what's gonna happen to said man when he protects, covers his wife? What's gonna happen to him? He's gonna get wet, exactly right. And my guess is that's okay with him. Do you know why? Because his duty, his desire, his privilege in that moment is not to keep himself dry. His task, his longing, his hope is that his wife and his kids perhaps would stay dry. And so if he gets wet, it doesn't matter. He's sacrificing himself in wetness. That's what he's doing to demonstrate love. And she's going to stay dry. Now, she doesn't blindly follow him. She doesn't just keep her mouth shut and say, well, I've got to be under the umbrella. You know, that's how it's supposed to be. The Bible says No. What is she doing? She's getting close. She's telling him, move closer, slow down, speed up, watch the big puddle, tilt it this way a little bit. There's a partnership there that's going on as they're under the, hey, the umbrella of submission. What do you know? If the wife holds it, what's going to happen to the man? He's going to get wet is the answer. And probably get poked in the eye if you're me. Now, he can stand close and he can do all those things. But he's inevitably going to get wet. And at some point, he's going to just walk ahead because that's what I do. If both hold the umbrella, what do you have? You have an argument. And one of them drops the umbrella and runs inside. Though not perfect, uh, though not always true, this is a great picture of how we should operate in the family unit. That there, there is a head to the household. Every player has a responsibility. There's a sacrifice to be made. That there's respect to be had. That there's obedience and encouragement. There's discipline. There's hope offered. And as Paul writes, I, I want to encourage you to live under the umbrella of submission, to respect your role and to live your life just as Christ lived his life for you. That's what it means to, to live in a household of strength and grace. 
Because as he continues to write here, he shares about what it means to be a child in the household and a parent in the household. That, that we obey in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. That means you're obeying God when you obey your parents. That's not always easy, not always fun, not always what you think is right. But this passage has extraordinary significance. It's one of the few places in the Bible where you actually get a promise if you obey. The promise is that you would live a long life. And so students, let me encourage you. Life is better in the long run when you obey your parents. Now, if they're wacky and weird and they tell you something illegal or immoral, then go to your grandparents or call Matt, okay? <laughs> Only if it's illegal or immoral. If it has to do with making your bed or taking the trash out, don't call him or text him. It's better. All of us, whether we're teenagers, young adults, or meeting adults, there's a sense in which you need to bring honor to our parents. We need to honor them. We need to show them the respect they deserve, whether they've been great parents or not so great parents. There's a sense in which God is constantly calling us to a place of honor, to honor those around us. And parents, let me encourage you, particularly dads, and this is as much to me as is the rest of you dads, don't exasperate your children. That means to provoke to anger. It's only used twice in the New Testament here and in Romans 10 by putting unreasonable demands on them, petty rules and favoritism. Don't play favorites with your kids. And I know the ones who obey are your favorites. So students, if you want to be the favorite, obey. That's all there is to it. Uh, don't play favorites. And just as a general rule for all of us, Parents, don't sweat the small stuff all the time. You can sweat the small stuff sometimes. But don't exasperate your children. Give them a place where they can thrive and be encouraged and see their gifts and talents explored. And as we live out this calling as husbands and wives, as people in general, as people of faith to live under the umbrella of submission, to handle our family unit the right way, then God will strengthen us. He will bless us. He will give us that long life that we desire, a life full of blessing and encouragement, purpose and direction. So don't neglect your family. Love them. Respect them. Honor them. Will you pray with me?